Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 183. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate your support. Please make sure you're telling your friends, your family, your coworkers all about this show. Keep this community growing. I appreciate your support. We're continually rising in the iTunes rankings, and I couldn't do it without your support. If you haven't done so, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review, and let let the world know what you think about this show. Again, thank you so much for your support. I want to introduce to you my new partners to the show, 99designs. You know, they've been so great with me and helping me with my design of my business. You know, it's all about selection, speed, and creativity. These are just a few benefits of having several designers work for you and helping you on your project. So if you want to start your next design project, I encourage you to go to 99designs.com slash leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to have on the show today, Stephanie Rodriguez. She's the chief enabling officer and founder of Mighty Media Group, a bespoke digital and disruptive communication consulting firm. She's a mother, speaker, digital futurist, and Latina based in Australia. Stephanie's a prolific live streamer and a self-professed Twitter addict. I love that introduction. Stephanie, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you, Richard. I'm really thrilled to be here. You know, I, I, this is like my fifth interview with people f- that are in Australia. So thank God for Skype because I don't know how else we would do this. It's 5, 10 p.m., 8, 10 a.m. the next day in uh, where you're at. But uh, guys... Technology is amazing, isn't it? Oh, you're preaching to the converted there for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, because you're all about this technology and what's going on. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your name, Mighty Media Group. I just, I love the way that kind of rolls off the tongue. What's what's the name all about? What is it all about? Well, when... um... When I came back to Australia, I, I was in the U.S. in the bubble. So, you know, a little bit about my history. I, I came to Australia first in 1997 uh, for romance and to have this whirlwind marriage. Um, and married an Aussie and, and came down from Los Angeles. <laughs> and in during the, the bubble, I was recruited by CMGI, who owned Alta Vista at the time, to work um, inside the, in the Internet bubble with them. And we all know how that ended. Our share price went from like $97 to $3 in (laughs) 11 months. And they said, thank you for playing. And I came back with a with a title and a print project out of Miami where I was based called Ocean Drive Magazine. And we licensed Ocean Drive and published Australia's first lifestyle magazine, which I thank God for because it gave me a real introduction to content and understanding the value of good storytelling. But um I was always passionate about digital, and when I handed Ocean Drive back to its its parent group in about 2004, I had a whole bunch of opportunities, and I needed to come up with a name. And Mighty Mouse, the cartoon character, yeah, was it. very much a part of my childhood. Yes. And um, looking at the icon, and, and I don't know if you've seen our logo online, Richard, but that M that's in our logo is very much the same it M is. that he wears on that's his chest. Right. That's right. But it's it's become not only just a symbol of our kind of our myths and legends as a business, but you know, Mighty Mouse 
he he was courageous and he was a hero because he never knew his size. You know, he never he, he yeah. went into battle and he never knew he was small. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the novelty of, of the cartoon, but it's been the same approach that we have a business have taken to what we do. Um, we've worked with multi-billion dollar companies globally, being from Australia, being really small. And some people, you know, are amazed that we have the history and lineage as a company, the clients that we do. And I always say it's just because we never knew we were a mouse. <laughs> and that that kind of uh, that novelty of Mighty Mouse and that legend stays with us and is very much a part, I think, of our, our corporate story, but also a part of our, our, you know, our ethics and our DNA as a business. What so what is what is the passion is the is specifically you with you come from your background is it is it a passion for marketing is it a passion for connecting I think you said storytelling is what is it what is the driver for you Well I think it's it's a little bit of a hybrid of everything really um I've always been kind of a geek girl and and not geek girl on the side of being a coder or even taking any coding lessons in, in in university but I was an early adopter and you know I had a Palm Pilot before they were cool <laughs> and uh, one of the first touch Motorola phones that were with the stylus I mean if there was something that was going to collate information and make life easier I wanted to have it and I wanted to play with it and I wanted to hack at it and introduce it to others so with that just you know kind of um, you know we call ourselves digital natives and that transcends like kind it. of uh, an age bracket and it's more about kind of a, a culture shift so in you know coming from a traditional marketing background before there was technology before the internet like pre-1995 if you right. would um you know coming from that marketing background but then looking at opportunities and seeing early the potential that the uh, the internet was going to create the way it would change our lives um i remember when i came to australia and I met a young kid who was about 18 years old, and he was still in university. And he could write code, and I could sell it. So I said, let's get together. Right. And he and I built some of the Australian government's very first websites, like 1.0 in uh, 1997 and 98. So looking at still being in this vein, you know, it's, it's just amazing where we've come. But it's also to see how, you know, disruptive technology, and that's, Everything from, you know, eye beacons to tablets, you know, is changing the way we tell stories. It's yes. changing the way we share. It's um, it's changing the way governments operate. It's changing the way our children are educating, um, the way in which our mind processes information. So, you know, I see our role as a business, but my role as a, as a business person, as a conduit for change, you know, much of our practice is about transformation versus any, any technical build or we need an app or whatever. We always start with kind of the why <laughs> and oh, what that. are you trying to achieve and, and create solutions around that. But that, that the, at the very core of that is transformation. And I, and I've just been really always passionate that digital will change the world. Well, you know, and it's, there's no, um, I don't think there's any better time in history in the history of the planet where, you know, anybody with a desire for transformation, a desire to making an impact, to, to do something great in this world, anybody can, can do it these days. Even more, I mean, look back at 1995, I would even imagine that maybe you're even surprised of where it's at today, or are you? I don't know. How, how, do, you, how do you look at that now? 
Well, coming working for CMGI at the time, you know, CMGI was incredibly successful with Alta Vista, you know, giving birth of the rise to Google and other search engines that came along after. But the side of the business that I was working in business development in Latin America was pretty much making a land grab for every we were talking about wireless, but it was called WAP, W A P <laughs> um in in two thousand. So now being twenty fourteen, um you know, CMGI was investing in this technology or wanting it or we were discussing it at, you know, big corporate sit downs and stuff. So it wasn't, you know, a Star Trek idea for me. But I think, you know, it's it's certainly it's emerging faster. And it's quite funny because I tell most of our clients, you know, in consultancy, if you need a case study for why you need to adopt digital in your business right now, forget about it. Because by the time you get someone to prove it first, you're already six steps behind. Yeah, yeah, you're way behind. Because it's evolving much faster. We're seeing a trend which is being referred to as leapfrogging. And that's where some companies have, you know, been so stuck in in the lag that their customers are not going for what is next, but they're actually going in front of that next. So if it's about a website that should be responsive design because now consumers are engaging with it on mobile, you know, they're, they're still trying to, uh, to make their website configure and actually their group have moved on and now they're on social or now they're using direct messaging technology, etc. So it's kind of how fast is it going and where do you invest and how far do you plan? And I tell my customers, like, max two years. Yeah. Know that anything you do, if you can't do it quick enough, in two years it's going to be obsolete. So if you got to scale and you got to think about what we don't know. So versus getting really married into our, you know, five-year big plans, some of that you can do, but really now you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you could say, I want to be alive and pay taxes in five years, but <laughs> everything else is subject to change. Yeah. Well, so is the, is the future – and gosh, I can see the companies that I've worked with and even some that I've coached and they're using some of these old legacy. It, they're not brick and mortar, but I call them brick and mortar software solutions where they're, they're you know, they're just so archaic. And is software as a solution in, in terms of, um, you know, how do I say this, the simplicity, you know, kind of the. Oh, you know, the campfires of the world. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the ones where you're using just absolute simplicity. It's not about building um, what's the philosophy I'm looking for? It's almost like you, you, you know, you're not building a, um, a product that tries to do everything. It's almost like you're a minimalist approach to, to everything. Is mm-hmm. that kind of the future of everything? Or is that where you see where it's going? Well, I mean, it, I think it depends on use case. We always want better features and benefits of certain things. And, you know, I read a great book called rework. Have you read? That yes, book I have. Rework? Yeah. That, well, you then know what I'm talking about, yeah. but you know the guys there talk about it there about their software, and they talk about how they tell customers, "No, we're not going to add that feature. Yeah. If you want that, buy somewhere else. We're really good at this. We manage our costs, and it does what it does." And no, in other instances, and I know even with me as a software as a service customer for some of the tools we use in the agency, every year when they want to up their price, I ask the question, "Well." Why should I pay more? And if they don't have a valid argument, I challenge it and go, well, why are you going to raise my prices if I know that you're not actually improving this technology that's already built? So if you're not going to add a bell or a whistle, then why should you raise my price? And and it, then it comes into value creation. But I do see that, you know, unlike the old days when 
things were so much more expensive, open source has changed the way we live and work. Right. Now, there's very few bits of code that haven't already been written that you can't go find and plug in. And WordPress is a really good example of you know open source at its very best and its very basic. It's so easy that non-technical people can go and add a form to their website or a banner or whatever it is that they want to do with no heavy lifting, pretty much. And it's also super cheap. So our barriers, uh, barriers to entry, if you would, or barriers to success on expansion or modernization is almost a moot point now because there, it's not hard to convert. And there's a portability of our data that didn't used to be this way, too. Now we can export everything in a CSV and take it wherever we want and put it in the cloud. So, right. you know, the, the idea of data, the idea of complexity is you, you are to write to a point is simplifying down into, you know, key features and what, what our expectations are in our use cases. You know, one of the mindset, especially, you know, looking at rework and one thing that relates to, and I'm in the, the flight test community and it's very, um, as you can imagine, trying to certify an airplane is very bureaucratic in a lot of ways it's old school right and mm, but i'm glad you do it because i fly so much so <laughs> right. you keep testing them and making sure they're good because i'm on them every single week <laughs> the, the thing that in, in from a business standpoint the thing that frustrates me is and this is any business not just but it's and i resonate with this whole idea of like i'd rather build and i'm paraphrasing what they say in rework but i'd rather you build half a product you know of getting it out there and answering kind of the why and the purpose instead of building a half-assed product that's trying to solve mm -hmm. everything too late, right? Mm -hmm. And so is that kind of a, the mindset that, that you guys subscribe to? I mean, do you, is that from what you see, is that what kind of works? The companies that are kind of making it happen now, are they kind of, and like you said, you can you only got two years because if you get too bureaucratic and too slow with it, you're going you're gonna to just get surpassed. Yeah, well, you know, looking at who, who our clients are, and, and again, we, we work, my agency's really almost niched by accident, not because we aimed this way, it just, I think it fits my personality and lifestyle, so <laughs> that's why we're there, but um, we work a lot with travel and things related to the traveler's experience, so that might be duty-free, that might be airport restaurants, that might be airports themselves, that might be travel and tourism companies, so I have a really fun bunch of customers. Customers, but in looking at their global footprints, they're um, they, they are like like dinosaurs, and not for their age, but for their size. Yeah, you know they're they're not easy animals to move, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's difficult for them to embrace change because most of the leaders in those companies um, this is a leadership discussion, but if we take it back to the culture of the business, those leaders themselves are not digital natives. They're not open to change. We, we are still, you know, buying technology because we bought Lotus Notes in the 90s <laughs> right. and we yeah. should still use that, you know. And so it's really funny to, uh, to have to be the change agent for, you know, C-suites such as the ones that I work with or, or marketers or technologists, et cetera, inside these businesses to be the, the kind of the shepherd and say, look, you, you have to go down this path. You know, Brian Solis, he, he said it very well a couple of years ago with his book, you know, it's, it is engage or die, evolve or perish. And you look at those, you know, existing companies that were blue chip and in our hearts and minds like Kodak, et cetera, you know, where did they go wrong? Yeah, right. They what what happened? And yep. when they refused to innovate, when they dug in and said, nope, we're not going to change, they lost out. So yeah. 
it's you know it is a it is a harsh reality almost that there's not a not a real option to uh, to staying exactly where we are. So I, I typically would throw the question on the table during these uh, challenging meetings <laughs> mm-hmm. to say, well, folks, let's look at the cost of an action. What happens if we do exactly nothing and do exactly what we're doing today? And, you know, that's my definition personally of stupidity. Like right. do the same thing and expect a different outcome. Right. It's not, it's not going to be different. And it's we're fortunate because we've earned the trust in our industry that people do turn to us for guidance. And whilst they might go down the path kicking and screaming, they go because they look at the option, which is um, to be obsolete or irrelevant to their customers and audience or to be superseded by a competitor who's moved faster mm. and those are two very sobering concepts for big business but it's it's never an easy or painless discussion hey halfway through the show i want to take some time out to talk about my partners 99 designs you know branding is a huge deal i've learned a lot about it over the last 20 months and we talk about branding a lot when you're in the business community and the entrepreneurship game it's a term that gets thrown around by all types of people and you may be wondering hey what is the big deal all about what is branding anyway in a nutshell your brand is the set of perceptions people have about your company it's an emotional expression of your value that your audience creates if you want to become a leader in your space design is key in communicating your brand And when customers have seemingly endless choices in this noisy world, design becomes crucial in helping you stand out and giving you that competitive edge. But what options are available to people like us who are bootstrapping it with little little to spend on design? Many have turned to online marketplaces like 99designs like I have to help build their brand on a budget. You get maximum creativity with 99designs contest model where they get dozens of designers to compete to deliver you your best design. You get to be involved in the process too and walk away with a logo, a website, or other design that truly represents who you are and your brand. I've used 99designs and I love what they did for me. Visit 99designs.com slash leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free today so looking back at at uh, your career and where you're at now and when you kind of when you got into this business I mean how much of it now I mean I can see that you're just so busy with um, helping people find their purpose their why how intentional are you about your leadership and and specifically uh, the role that you're in now well you know, you have to look at what we do, and I and I keep reflecting back to you know how we how we live and 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 how we behave. And anyone who spends any amount of time with me, you know, knows that not only am I deeply passionate about what I do, but also you know what I do takes a lot of courage because mm-hmm. you have to be brave to go to perhaps you know one I'm a female so being a female and a CEO and a founder of a successful you know consulting company but to sit across from men who are more learned who are also male who are also older and challenge their beliefs takes a certain amount of um of inner kind of calm to right. be able to explain that and to be brave in places that others are not comfortable or confident to go you know these these works of transformation in business take uh it's an erosion of of uh kind of conformed ideas or business practice or you know fear in many instances it's about removing fear from others and that's where if you yeah I, i guess i would answer yes richard it is kind of purposeful you know the leadership position that i take 
you know, in, in the way in which we help our clients. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very, yeah, it is a bit on purpose. I spend a lot of time learning and I think, you know, coming from that humble position of learning and I help others to learn. It's not just to change, but it's also to understand kind of the, uh, the why, like why did, mm-hmm. why is it important and what is the impact of this and what will it mean for us if we, if we evolve, if we grow. And in the, in the teaching process, you know, it is about storytelling. You asked me that question as well a bit earlier mm-hmm. because, you know, marketing is in truth storytelling. That is innately how we learn. People, you know, wrote scrolls, people drew pictures on caves. You know, it's all about the narrative and, and this is a part of our story, which is now both as a as a you know as a planet and also as people and also as businesses and employers and employees and you know stakeholders but we look at you know the impact of what we're doing what we're creating you know into the future for our children for the environment and it's you know it's a pretty it's a pretty big puzzle to solve well yeah are you so uh, what i'm sensing from you are you a practitioner uh, or a student of human nature um, absolutely. You know, I, I call myself a social anthropologist mm-hmm. because there is a lot of observation and learning and learning. Marketing is part psychology. So we do look at people's behavior, people's attitudes, the Internet and the ability to listen is really powerful. And I think a lot of people underrate it or they're just ignorant to it. Right. And whilst, you know, social media has created a place where so many people are talking, it's very easy to listen for the sentiment of things that you would never otherwise know. And now, because so many people are speaking in open places, open forums, things like Twitter, you can, you can learn what are, what's going on in people's heads because not only are they thinking it? They're also saying it. So, you know, the ability to observe um, human nature and sentiment, especially online, is really, you know, it's a game changer because you can you can pivot, you can make corrections, you can improve, you can take into consideration, you can develop empathy. Um, and that's, I think, really powerful, you know, for leaders today to look at, you know, what are people saying and what's on their mind and how do we adapt that or use that information? Yeah, I, I would argue that that what you just articulated there, that really, if you're really interested in a leadership position and you want to set yourself apart and not just be mediocre and really kind of, um, again, set, set yourself apart as, as a true leader is, is do what you just said, is understand, listen, uh, the empathy piece. I mean, those are all, to me, I think the... I don't even know if it's a new thing, but I think that's something that all great leaders throughout history have been really good at. I mean, you know, you can be a decent manager, but if you want to be an exceptional leader, I think you've got to have that emotional intelligence, right? I mean, you've got to be passionate about seeing how people work, I think. Yeah, the listening, the listening bit, somebody said to me as a child growing up in Virginia, they said, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Why do you think that <laughs> right. is? And it's, you know, I've never forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is purposeful that, you know, by, by listening, we can absorb, but by doing. So the other flip side of leadership is not just listening, but, but by doing, you know, and, and really that resonating from our behavior, but our attitudes, you know, people learn 
remember how you make them feel. So some of it is about being a sponge and absorbing that, but also what you resonate about it and, and, and how you address that as an individual also is a part of the leadership piece, that empathy, that understanding. And, you know, in the transformation process, again, the space that we live and work in, you know, that's very much a part of, you know, our, our, our workflow and understanding because, you know, going, changing, changing the way we do things is not always easy for people and to, to lead and to teach, but also to deliver, impart some of that passion to them, to to see it or feel, drink the Kool-Aid or feel the vibe, whatever you want to say. But for, for us, that's very much not just about lip service, but about, you know, true grit and true passion. And, you know, and that's for me, the, how I want to live and, and, and the legacy I want to leave. Yeah, no, I love it. I can sense your passion from it. I can sense your, um, you know, you're, you're wanting to do something of significance. And I think that is really at the heart of, of leadership. And, you know, we can say marketing, but I mean, really what you're doing, it's everything you just described there. I mean, that is, those are all leadership skills that, that could benefit us all. How do you deal, going back to the fear piece and overcoming kind of you know, I can just picture myself in that position, and and we've all kind of been there, where where we're in that role where people, as you put it, are more learned than you, and and I'm sure, as we all do, you're you're faced with self doubt, and and I'm sure that you've dealt with it, and obviously you've dealt with it successfully. How do you kind of fight what I call the the uh, resistance dragon that always crops up when you want to try to do something significant? How do how do you slay that dragon? Um, I don't know that I have a single sword. Or a single trick per se. Um, I do know, though, that if someone turns to me for advice, they have obviously decided that I can help them. So it's my innate responsibility to yeah. step up to the plate Obligation, and deliver. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not negotiable like and and you know i i walk into some board meetings with going oh dear you know (laughs) right and and you know and and having to you know tell people things that they don't want to hear or that their system is going to be obsolete in five years and they say well well do you have a computer science degree no do you have an mba no how do you know (laughs) (laughs) and to be able to stand firm in our experience in our observation in our knowledge Etc. is about you know understanding that I'm here for a reason and that's why you've turned to me and just going in and swinging you know we yeah. we, we lose all of the battles we never fight so I just remind myself that we we, we lose absolutely every single battle we don't fight yeah and it's so. not and it's not your it, yeah I love how you said that it's not ego or or being egotistical or trying to you know walk in there with some sort of cocky attitude it's about being authentic and remind you that you do what you said. I think what I heard you say is, is that I do matter here. I'm, you know, I am, I do have something to say. I am worthy of some sort of value. I don't know. I think you have to earn it in some ways. And, and and I, I I work with a lot of millennials and they're hilarious (laughs) because they have this kind of self entitlement. That's very funny. Um, and they would have absolutely five days in a row and think they're brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm, you know what? I hired you because you have enormous potential, but let's take this one day at a time. (laughs) And it's, it's a really funny thing, but I think, you know, at my age and also with the number of years that I've had 
in working with this industry and staying the course, you know, and, and it's, it's difficult to see and work in emerging technology and disruptive technology and, and be a futurist to say, I know what's coming and I can't necessarily articulate it, but I can tell you it will not be the same today is about this kind of, you know, youthful approach to, to transformation, to process, to evolution, if you would. And it's understanding that we will never be exactly in this moment again. And we can only prepare on how we will cope with change. And that's, that's a really kind of, you know, that's a, that's a hard concept for some. But it, the, the millennials really believe that in the instant, it's all there for them. And it's, for me, I just, I find it quite remarkable about, you know, earning that right to succeed and earning that right to be a leader, you know, comes from being worthy, being deserving, and also you know, being, um, being humble. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that it you, is with the humility yeah, that we approach humility. it all. That's right. There's, there's a lot to be said about a quiet confidence that I, there's a, there's tremendous power in that, you know, it's kind of the, the Jim Collins level five leadership, you know, humility <laughs> faced with an, an intensity of will, you know, um, and, and that's, that's level five leadership. That's what we should be striving for. Mm, I so agree. So is it is it all about revenue? I mean, I, this, this industry fascinates me without trying to get too geeked out because I'm, I'm a geek at heart too. I was a computer science major. I love all this stuff. I, I do believe... I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so in, I, there's always a part of me, you know, I consider myself an entrepreneur, a wantrepreneur, a solopreneur, whatever you want to call it. But there, And I've never really dove down the software as a solution path. But the, it's there's there seems to be a calling for me because it seems like that where there's so much potential and not only in, in revenue for for an entrepreneur, but, but, but changing the world and making a positive impact. What, what do you think about when I say that? Well, they, you know, again, I, I listened to a lot of people talk and somebody said in a conference I was at 2009, they said, you know, find a need and fill it. Right. That's the best thing you can do is find what the world needs and go build it. You know, unless you can significantly improve something that already exists, then that's your purpose. And we, we look at, you know, one is the fact that we're consultants, you know, on how we can improve businesses. But there got to a point in this process where I said, it's really great that I'm creating new revenue streams for my clients. But it's unfortunate that I don't sit on the backside of that, that that's I can right. retire off of that. Right. And, you know, from that belief or that opportunity is now creating, you know, ways in which we are developing our own internal products and internal um, opportunities. And again, productizing some of what we do so that more people have access to it. It's scalable and, you know, we can, we can monetize our IP. And that didn't come immediately. Mighty Media Group turns 10 this year. So it took Uh me 10 years to get there. But my goodness, when the light went on, it was very powerful. So I do think, you know, and, and you look at so many, I'm, I'm an information product addict. I just, I've never admitted that. So Richard, it's just a moment you and I are having, <laughs> but I, I get 10,000 emails, no word of a lie. I've got 45,000 unopened emails in my inbox right now, Oh my Lord. but most of them would be trying to sell me an information product right? because I have a very thirsty mind and I love like little software that let you do this or make this widget. Sure. And <laughs> I'm addicted to them. Like I don't buy dresses online. I buy software. Right. Yeah. I can um, relate. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, looking at that, if there was a need that you could fill, 
And it's very funny because in my consulting, you know, I talk with people and I meet people and I say that to them in an offline world, every single person has something that other people would pay for. And and to what degree I had dinner on Saturday night with a horse trainer and his wife and we were talking about my business and his business. And I said to him, Nick, you know, think about what people come to you and what knowledge, you know, that you could sell while you're sleeping. And he's like, well, I'm a horse trainer. And I said, but don't people call you and ask you how to buy a racehorse? And he said, yes. And I said, well, think about that. You, all you would need to do is look at Google keywords and find out how many people searched how to buy a racehorse. And if you had the answer because you've won X number of derbies and, and horse races with your animals, could you give advice in a single capsule purchasable online or through iTunes for two ninety nine, whatever, you know, that you could sell while you're asleep. And he was like, I never thought of that. Yeah. So, you know, the internet creates a means for which we can impart our wisdom and spread it. And the information marketplace, um, Gig Ohm did a study and I read it in about twenty twelve and it I've never forgotten it. And you know, the study concluded that the digital goods business was sitting at about fourteen billion, but would escalate to in 2014 to being about 36 billion dollars worth of digital goods so the question is you know you know how much of that richard is going to come out of your pocket you know how much is going to go into your pocket and how much of that wallet do you want yeah and that's really the opportunity that's there that's never been there before in this global digital marketplace, which is very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I mean, and I see it, and obviously I'm in the middle of it trying to do exactly that. I'd like to get a little chunk of that $36 billion, and, and, and I have a little bit. But i got to tell you, it's even, you know, for, for a entrepreneur, entrepreneur like myself, it, it can be daunting and overwhelming sometimes because, like, it seems like there's so much to do. And you watch and you see, and you're like, well, should I be, you know, doing Google Space ads, Facebook ads? Should I be doing, you know, the Jeff Walker's, you know, sideways sales letter, all these other things? things and and it, it can just get so overwhelming sometimes and um yeah i guess that's why we have people like you right yeah well i guess i mean you know it's it's really amazing that he didn't nick this this horse trainer you know it was a little bit reluctant at first he was like really i said i don't know what the demand is but the, that possibility is certainly there and how long would it take you to sit down and just explain you know, what it is that you do or what you would advise someone naturally. You could do it with a voice recorder in the car. So it's not necessarily about, you know, writing War and Peace and having a PhD in teaching to be able to explain, you know, your, what what is his IP. And I said, in every person, there is some IP about something, planting tomatoes, you know, buying wine, whatever it is mm-hmm. that can now be productized. And some we, we do help people do that. Um, if it's scalable and we believe in the product, sure. but, you know, ultimately, you know, the internet and digital creates so much of an opportunity for the way we communicate, the way we behave, you know, the way we share and the way we lead. Yeah. That's a, it's a great time for sure. Mm. What, um, who are your heroes? My heroes. Well, I come from the, you know, the eighties and nineties in my education, and, you know, Zig Ziglar is probably – The Secrets of Closing the Sale was one of my first business books that I ever bought. And um, I just found him remarkable yeah, with his great. simplicity. Yeah. And and that book um, – and I, I don't consider myself a salesperson, although I probably sell a lot <laughs> um, because I just – 
you know, it's, it's, I'm not directly trying to push a product on anyone, you know, I'm trying to illuminate their opportunity. And so how I see sales is perhaps a bit skewed, but, you know, the ability to, to be, you know, honest and help people to understand opportunity was something that I just thought he crystallized and it's never, that knowledge is never left me. Um, but then I look at kind of my modern day heroes and, and people who I highly regard and, you know, Brian Solis for his thought leadership. Mm. I just think he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, Don Tapscott, who's a bit in the older generation, but you know, Don's written a million books, including Wikonomics and Macroeconomics. You know, Don is a futurist ahead of his time because if you look at how old he is, you know, he's he wasn't a digital native, but he has a philosophy of surrounding himself with youthful ideas. So he does a significant amount of mentoring, you know, and he works with universities and colleges. And I just think he's brilliant for that. And I, you know, I had the benefit of meeting him and having dinner with him once, and it was just incredible, you know. So That's yeah, great. Don and Don's Don's pretty special. Um, and, you know, all those traditional wonderful change agents like Nelson Mandela, but, you know, looking at people who've directly impacted the way I think and lead and train, you know, I, I would tend to probably say that, you know, Brian and, and Don have had a significant impact in the way I think. And there's one more who I just adore and just highly regard as well and rate very high. It's a guy by the name of Gabe Zickerman. Hmm, never and heard of that. Well, because he sits at the other side of the digital divide, and he's on the gaming side, and he um, has written several books and leads a lot of workshops around gamification and the behavior of online and the behavior of people and how we use technology to motivate them and using fun to motivate people, but understanding how the mechanics of um, digital and, and processes we ask people to do and complete can be improved using the science and uh, mechanics of gaming. And I would, he's done a talk on with, at the Google headquarters a couple of years ago. It's on YouTube. Highly recommend it. It's 45 minutes. Very funny. What is his and name? What's his name again? Z Gabe G A B E Zickerman Z I C H M A double N. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, on those same veins, this is kind of a fun question. If you had, okay, you had a, a whole night to plan um, the ultimate dinner party. You're hosting the dinner party, and if you had five people that you just would could invite, they could be living or dead, and you could invite them to this party. Who would they be? Um. I would invite Malcolm Gladwell. Ooh, yeah, good one. I'd invite Seth Godin. Oh, yeah, good one. <laughs> I'd, inv I'd invite Gary Vaynerchuk just because he's loud and would make an awesome dinner guest. <laughs> right. Um, who else? It's three. I get five guests. Yep, two more. Um, oh, tr Tricky. Got Gary. Kevin Roberts. Kevin, Kevin Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. Do you know who he is? No. Maybe Kevin I Kevin Roberts is the founder of Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. Like he's one of the leaders of Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. And he wrote a book called Love Marks that I read about five or six years ago on how to build a remarkable brand. Um, and probably Steve Jobs. Ah. I'd be the only girl at the party, but I'd have a heck of a time. <laughs> 
No, but man, what a conversation. What That would be a crazy, interesting evening. Mm. Wouldn't it? Gary V, Seth Godin. Who's yeah, your we first? mix it up. We mix it up between marketing. We mix it up yeah. between people and social behavior, a bit of technology and innovation, you know. So I think, yeah, it would be, uh, that would be, be pretty a f- fun. Fun dinner. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, always, I love asking that question. It's just so much fun. It's right. It is tricky. People always pause. They get to three and they find, like, who's the other two? And it can get, it can get a little difficult. But no, that's a great yeah, then, you, then you're then you're having to filter out like there's the obvious top three that you just go yeah that'd be really fun and then it's yeah. like, oh, who else could you invite yeah. but Kevin Roberts is a really remarkable man he's still alive so he's not dead um, but he's based in New York and um, his books have been a part of my um, nurturing and education and someone I greatly admire so yeah Sachi yeah. and Sachi is that how you say that Sachi and Sachi yeah I'm looking at him right uh-huh. now yeah yeah interesting gosh you're just such a mm. fabulous passionate uh, engaging conversationalist. I love talking to you about all this stuff. This is you, you're a leader in your own right, and um, well, de- I mean, it's just not that there was any doubt that you deserve what it is, but I mean, you're just a fascinating conversationalist. I'm just so thrilled to have you come on the show. Oh, thanks, Richard. I'm really honored to 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 be interviewed and to to participate, and um, it's great chatting with you too. How can people get in touch with you? I mean, you got uh, Mighty Media World. I'll have links to all this. But how how else do you want people to connect with you? I mean, you've got forty five thousand open emails. It might be kind of tough. <laughs> well, I mean, one is that I'm on Twitter, so my Twitter username is Digital Goddess with one D. I love it. But if you search Digital Goddess, even on LinkedIn, with one D, you'll come to me. So I kind of own that footprint across the internet of the Digital Goddess with one D. So I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm also, my name, Stephanie Rodriguez with no A's. Note that, because otherwise it doesn't find me. Right. Um, and you'll find a very prolific fiction writer named Stephanie Rodriguez that's not me. Yeah. Uh, but Stephanie Rodriguez at Gmail is pretty easy and direct. Well, very good. I'll have links to all this. My gosh, thanks for coming on the show. There's so much more we could talk about. Maybe we'll a couple months we'll find a specific topic and we'll talk about it. There's so much more to explore with you, but gosh, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 